Psalm 78. My heart has been very heavy and very burdened in recent years, definitely recent months, and recent weeks about what is a systemic problem in American Christianity. Our church is not the only church that struggles with what we're going to talk about tonight. I think it's an issue across the board, certainly in our country, certainly in the southeastern United States, definitely in the Bible Belt. I was a youth pastor, as you know, for 21 years, and now for almost four years I've been privileged to be your pastor and serve in that capacity. And I've watched young people and teenagers, not all of them, thank the Lord, but some who when they come through our youth group, come through our church, come through our Christian school, for whatever reason, they don't just leave home. They don't just leave school. But they leave church. They leave a fundamentalist church. They leave, and by the way, that's what we are. And, 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 and by the way, I make no apology for being a fundamentalist and for us being a fundamentalist, separatist church. That's who we are. I say that up front because I'm going to make some statements tonight that you may question, and that's perfectly fine. And you may say, well, I'm not sure you're a fundamentalist. <laughs> well, I am, and you know that. But we've had some kids to leave. Some have espoused different theological positions. Some have espoused no position at all. Some, I get the feeling that they wouldn't spit on us if we were on fire. Now, that's a very plain way to say it. But that's how I feel sometimes. That's the impression I get from them. The Lord knows my motive tonight is not in any way to castigate those individuals through these years and now decades that have chosen to do that. I simply say that it's heartbreaking. Others in their life, when they find out that they had roots here at faith, sometimes these same now adults or young adults are questioned. Well, would you ever go back to church there? Oh, no, 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 no. I wouldn't dare go back to church there. Sometimes they're asked, well, would you put your children in the school? Sometimes they'll even say, you know what, I would. I I want my child to be at Faith Christian Academy. Sometimes they say, oh, no, 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 no. The last place I'd put my child is Faith Christian Academy. And that's heartbreaking to me. And by the way, it ought to be to you. It ought to be to you. And if you're here tonight and it's not heartbreaking to you, or if your posture is, well, that's their loss, bless God, then your spirit's wrong. It causes me to pray and to think and to ponder. And this is not just a problem with free will Baptist churches. It's not just a problem with independent Baptist churches. It's not just a problem. It's a problem with Southern Baptists. It's a problem with historic Bible-believing Christianity across the board. 
in our churches. Movements and groups. Researchers have studied it. They've written books. They have conferences on it. Blogs are written. And the study has been going on for 20 plus years as to why it seems that by the time they hit 18 years of age, as Ken Ham says, they're already gone. I have more questions, and I'm not sure I have too many answers. This message, this sermon tonight is not going to answer all the questions. I believe I'm looking in the faces of spiritual people. You probably wouldn't be here on a Wednesday night if you weren't. Or at least you care about being right with the Lord and being a biblical Christian who's operating and governed by truth, not by preferences, not by tradition, not by the whims or the fancies of our own flesh, but by truth. And truth, ladies and gentlemen, is a straight line. It is. It doesn't veer to the right. It doesn't veer to the left. Truth is straight. And I want to line up on the truth. But I don't have a lot of answers for, for the dilemma I just laid on you. And I guarantee you, if you have children, many of you have grandchildren, I'm talking even tonight to some great-grandparents. You have watched this. You know it is an issue and a problem. But I want us to think tonight because this issue that we're talking about and this overall scheme of multi-generational ministry. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight and next week even. So I want you to come back next week, please. We're going to do some things next week that I really believe will be helpful to you and helpful to me. But this message this evening is not going to be an answer-all, cure-all approach. It's just really to get our feet wet. And if nothing else, if we walk out of here tonight at least praying and thinking, Lord, where do I fit in this equation? Then I believe tonight will have been a success. That's at least my my desire and my prayer, that God would do just that. It, It goes without saying that the Lord... That all through scripture, there's a tone that, that God wants multi-generational ministry, multi-generational truth, multi-generational spiritual heritage and godliness. God never, never intended for faith. And I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about what we call the faith. True faith. True allegiance and loyalty and fidelity to Christ and the Bible. God never intended for that to be limited to one generation. Neither did he limit it to one ethnicity or one race or one people group or one nation. That's why he didn't keep it with just the Jews. That's why his plan always included the Gentiles and the peoples of the world because God didn't want to restrict it with just one segment of time or location. That's why we say it is multi-generational. 
There are a plethora of passages in Scripture that point that out. But one of the classics, in my opinion, is right here in Psalm 78. Would you look at verse 1? Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Now remember, Psalms were statements or poems. Oftentimes it was, it was a, 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 a Scripture put to music. They would sing these. They would do this often for historical purposes for what we call didactic purposes or for teaching purposes. They would use the Psalms many times as almost like catechisms. Principles and statements where they would repeat them over and over and over again. The little Hebrew children, the Jewish children would be read these and they would quote these and they would sing these and they would be rehearsed in the ears and consciences of these children to drill it into them in their spirit, in their conscience. Give ear to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us, we will not, watch this, we will not hide them from our children, showing to the generation to come. That's future. The generation to come. That's the next generation. Showing to the next generation the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For he, God, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers, watch this, that our fathers should make known them, his testimonies, his law, should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them. Even the children which should be born, watch this, who should arise and declare them to their children. So you have at least four generations mentioned right there in those two verses. You have our fathers to their children to the generation to come so that the generation to come might pass it down to their children. That's great-grandparents, great-grandchildren. Verse 7, he says that they might, why? why? Why is it important to transmit this? Just for tradition? No. But so verse 7, so that they, 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 the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, and we could keep going on, that they might set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. If you study over in the New Testament, you will find that the thrust, the emphasis so often in the local church, in the New Testament church, especially if you study passages like are in the pastoral epistles, where he talks about the connection that's necessary between the older generation and the younger generation. And you fathers... Ye fathers, ye ye elders, you older men, you older women, speak truth and teach the younger women. There's an implied and a stated and instructed connection and teaching and impartation 
and if I can use this word, a transmission that's supposed to take place between the older generation and the younger generation. That doesn't always happen. It's not always successful. If I could say it this way, and you understand what I'm saying, it doesn't always stick. But I would go a step further and say, not only does it not always stick, I'm not sure, though, that it's always attempted. I'm not sure that there's always an attempt made to capture and to connect with every single young person in the younger generation. I think what we have in our, what we call the subculture of our local churches today is a similar situation to what they had biblically in 1 Kings chapter 12 where Rehoboam had come to power. Uh, Solomon had passed away. His son Rehoboam was made the king. And so you had really what I call a generational gap and a generational divide illustrated there for us. He went to the younger generation of leadership and he said, I want to ask you a question. Uh, How can I do things differently than my father did, than my daddy? So the younger generation, if you know the Bible, you know the story. They said, oh, I'll tell you what, I think you need to be more stern, more difficult, heavier on the people. You need to demand more out of them, expect more out of them when it come, came to taxes and levies and tributes and things like that. You need, to, you need to expect more out of them, get more out of them. You need to be rough with them. You need to be harsher than your father was. So he asked the older generation of leaders in his cabinet, what do you suggest I do? And they said, well, King... We don't think you need to go harder. We think you need to go lighter. You don't need to be as severe and as harsh, as cruel as your daddy was. And we know the rest of the story. He made, obviously, the wrong decision. He went with the counsel and advice of the younger generation of leadership in his cabinet. Now, please don't run with that and think that that means that the younger generation always has bad advice. Please don't think that because that's not the point of the passage. Okay, But you see, even in this biblical illustration, and because of the generational gap and he made the wrong choice, it splintered the kingdom into two. And I'm not trying to do any injustice to the Bible, but I believe with all my heart tonight that so many times we can look at other churches and other good churches fellowships and congregations and we can see a generational divide and a generational gap and if listen if that gap and that divide is not navigated properly are you hearing me it's not just the nation of israel that can be splintered it's local churches that have been and can be splintered and divided because of this generational gap that exists listen hear me now Please, God never intended for there to be a generational gap or divide in his local church or congregation. With that being said, I quickly tell you that does not mean, and it will never mean, never mean that apart from truth, that everybody will see everything else eye to eye. That will never happen. 
we're all creatures of preference. Can we go ahead and put that out there and say that? Thank you. We're all creatures of preference. When it does not relate to clearly revealed precepts of the Bible, there is room for preference and for choice. There's room for differences of opinion. The problem comes in, ladies and gentlemen, when we allow those differences of opinion to cloud and color and shape how we treat others of a different generation who disagree with us. Again, I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm not talking about truth. I'm not talking about the precepts, the unchanging precepts of the Word of God. Neither am I talking about, listen now, neither am I talking about the mission of the church, which we're going to get to in just a moment, is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's the mission of the church. You could say it's win, baptize, teach. Go, win, baptize, teach. It's the same thing. It's getting people to Christ and discipling them and teaching them how the Bible says we ought to live. Making disciples who will in turn make disciples, who will in turn make disciples. That's the mission of the church. And that mission never, ever will change. It'll never change. The book, the Bible, will never change. We're not changing Bibles. We're not changing truth. But we've said this before, and it's true. Methods do change. Methods change. Modes change. The approach we take to various things changes. You say, well, I don't believe it should. Well, gang, in 1961 when our church began, you realize that we didn't used to meet here on 1200 West Grantham Street. We used to meet somewhere else. Our location changed. <laughs> so then we start meeting over here, I believe, around 1965. Some of you historians can better tell me when. And the first building ever built on this property was over there. And guess what? Soon that changed. We started meeting over here somewhere in the 70s. This building itself has changed. Used to, we used not to use the balcony. It used to be closed off. Do y'all remember that? Used to be classrooms up there. We changed, didn't we? We modified. It doesn't look the same as it did. Thank the Lord. The green is gone. The yellow is gone. <laughs> that worked for a good long time. But we changed. But we didn't we didn't compromise. Hey, we used to have CTS. We don't have CTS anymore. Preacher changed that about 20 years ago. We changed structure. We changed service times. We just did that last year in March when it came to moving our Sunday school to 9.30, moving to preaching service to 10.30, moving to Sunday night to 6. We changed service times. Did we change the Word of God? No. Did we change our mission? 
No. But we changed structure. We changed our approach. Hopefully, to better fulfill the mission, you see. So many things change that are inconsequential in the broad scope of eternity. And it may not be your cup of tea, and it may not be my cup of tea. Now, please don't amen when I say this, because I'm going. It's, it's going to get me off kilter. And y'all don't want me to run rabbits tonight, because I could go on forever and ever. I'm going to confess something to you. Did you know, now lean in, listen carefully. Did you know that sometimes in this church, and don't tell anybody, there are sometimes we sing a song that I don't know. And I'll stand over here and I'll think, I don't know that song. Let me tell you what my first inclination is. I know you're not like this, but my first inclination is, Kevin, I don't know that song. I ain't going to sing it. I'm just being honest. You're like, no, yeah. That's my first inclination. I don't know that song. He should have taught me that song before he ever debuted it on that screen right there. I ain't going to sing it. I'm going to stand here and protest and not move my mouth. My flesh tells me that sometimes. But then the Holy Spirit says, Christian pal, have you lost your marbles? Christian pal, Do you not understand that every single song that's ever been written, ever sung, legitimate song that's ever been sung in church was brand new at one time? Sing that song. Join in and sing. So you know what I'd do? I'd rather obey the Holy Spirit than obey my flesh, and so i join in and sing. I know you're not like that, but I can get like that sometimes. Just because it's different. Just because it's different. Not unscriptural, not wrong, just different. Let me get into my outline. Number one, multi-generational ministry is what God designed for every local church. Everyone. We are to make disciples who make disciples. God doesn't want individual local congregations or local churches just to be made up of one age demographic and nobody else. That's not a local church. Not less it's a local church on a college campus or something like that or in a retirement community. That's different. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in an average, normal town, city, community, there is to be a diverse age group in every single local church. Can I get an amen there? Are y'all dead? Are y'all hearing me tonight? Can I get an amen? 
therein is the rub. Trust me, I know, and you do too. Because y'all know this, and I know this. I'm not real bright, but I have lived 46 years. I do understand that not every body of a younger generation likes the same thing I do. And I have to be honest with you, I definitely don't prefer or like everything that a 16-year-old likes. Just ask Andrew Powell. There's an age gap. There's a, age, there, there, there's a generational gap there. I'm not talking about right or wrong. I'm talking about preferences. So, how do you alleviate that? Oh, oh, I know how you do it. You gear your worship and you gear your style and you gear your structure to appeal to just one age demographic. Let's do that. See how that works. And that's what some churches do. They gear their whole structure, their whole philosophy, their whole everything, stylistically, everything, they gear it to appeal and reach and disciple one age demographic. Sometimes it's the young people, all right? We're going to gear everything. Everything, everything to the young people. And so, guess what? You have very few, if any, of the older generation. I want to ask you a question. Is that truly a biblical church? I don't think it is. Because it doesn't reflect that community. Again, I'm not talking about a a church on a college. Uh, I'm not talking about... or, or you have some churches, and you know this, who go to the other extreme and they say that they're only going to cater to the older generation. Stylistically, preferences, service times, we're going to gear it all to an older generation and what they like and what they want. Well, and a lot of churches do that. So how does that work? How's that working? It might work fine now, but what's the problem with that? It's not biblical. And it'll be short-lived. Why? Because if that's the only people they're attracting, then apparently in 20, 30 years, everybody's going to be dead. And there is no younger generation. There are no 40-somethings. And there won't be any 60-somethings who will come along because they didn't attract the 20 and 30 and 40-somethings when they had the opportunity. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you can't go to extremes. And you can't pick one particular preference style and say, well, bless Pat, I'm not, we're going to do all this, all this, all this, and everybody else can lump it. No. That's foolish. That's not biblical. It would not be right for that church to say, 
we do not care about ministering to the senior adult generation. It would not be biblical for that church to say, we do not care about reaching and ministering to the younger generation where they are. Neither one is biblical. But there exists this clash. Do y'all sense it sometimes? It's okay to nod your head in agreement. You're not going to frighten me. Or if you don't agree, that's fine. You don't have to nod your head. And there's the rub. See, multi-generational ministry, number two, multi-generational ministry is part of God's plan for making disciples. Gang, somebody, somebody has to minister to the younger generation where they are. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. And here's the sticky point. Where the younger generation is, by and large, is not where even we were when we were their age. That's not throwing shade on the younger generation right now. Y'all, that's just truth, right? Can I say that? And let me tell you what what I'm prone to do. I'm prone to get some self-righteous prideful spirit and attitude that says look at them look at those not headed 18 year olds I mean really look at those millennials look at those young 20 somethings I can't believe they don't have any better biblical sense whoa 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 whoa. wait wait How about sometimes I say that about things that aren't even biblical? It's just my preference. Oh, I roll, roll my eyes. Oh, 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 I can't believe it. Oh, oh. I get so put out and so frustrated. But somebody, somebody, somebody from our generation has to go to the younger generation and make a connection. And say, I love you. I don't love you for what you need to become. I love you right where you are. I love you right now. I I accept you as an 18-year-old. And all of your struggles, and all of your questions, and all of your doubts... And I'm not going to dismiss those doubts and those questions and say you're ignorant and you're immature. I'm going to try to answer them. And I'm going to try to help you. And I'm going to enter into your doubts. And I'm going to enter into your questions. And I'm going to enter into your struggle with you. Because at some point in time, it may not be apples to apples, but I've been right where you are. And somebody, thank God, in our lives came along for us when we were knuckleheads. And you're looking at the biggest knuckle of them all. 
And they didn't give up on us. And they didn't say, I'll connect with you if you change to meet my preferences. Are you hearing me? Somebody and several somebodies in this room of an older generation has to decide that it's now or never and it's past time that the older generation of our church intentionally, intentionally connects with the younger generation. Statement number three. Multi-generational ministry must be intentional. It will not happen by accident. It must be intentional. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm more convinced of that than I've ever been in my life. Unless you make it a priority, it'll never happen. Number four, multi-generational ministry is highly relational. Highly relational. Brother Matthew, would you come here? Brother Scott, Brother Justin, would you come here? Just, just come here. Let me tell you how Jesus, I'm about done. Let me tell you how Jesus mentored and molded and shaped his disciples. Can somebody help? Thank you. Watch me now. Oh, I know how he did it. I know how he did it. He preached to the multitude. Yes, Jesus preached to the multitudes. But that's not how he formed and shaped those 11. Because here's what we say. Or here's the predominant philosophy in a lot of churches. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. They, they, they just need to show up. They just need to show up. They need to show up. And I mean, that's got to be good enough because it was good enough for my generation. It's good enough for me. It's good enough 20 years ago. It's good enough 40, 50, 60 years ago. I mean, that's what we did. We just showed up and came to church. What's interesting that that's not the disciple-making model that Jesus showed. Because let me tell you, in the last a year and a half of Jesus' life, let me tell you how he poured into his disciples. Let me tell, tell you how he got them, those 11 men, to be the 11 that then turned to 120 and then turned into 3,000 and then turned into the multitudes. And we have a Bible tonight and we have the gospel tonight because what Jesus poured into those 11, it worked. Well, how did he do it? By standing up in a big crowd and preaching? Not to them. Hey, I'll tell you what, guys, would you sit right here on the stage? Just, just sit on the steps. Here, here, guys, let me get right here in the middle of you. And you know, Scott, let me tell you what, what I've been thinking about lately. Let me tell you. And, and so he, he, he talked to him this way. Hey, Justin, I, 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 let me tell you what the father has put on my heart and mind to tell you. And he talked this way. Matthew, I... I know you're a tax collector, but <laughs> let me, here's something I want to say to you. I want you to hang on to it and listen, because one day, you may not understand it now, but one day it'll make sense to you. It was close. There was a connection. 
It was face-to-face. It was circular. It was relational. And I'm saying this. I'm saying this. I'm grieved and heartbroken over the scores of young people from our congregation and our church that at least by their own words don't feel like they have a home here anymore. That hurts me. That bothers me. You're saying, preacher, what's the answer? I don't know. But I want you to pray with me. That God will show us the answer. I know the answer ain't compromise. I'm not stupid. But we got to be more intentional to connect. You say, preacher, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. Jesus taught in circles, in groups. Who's in your group? I close with this. Who's in your group? What younger person, somebody younger than you, somebody of a younger generation, I'm serious, what young person, and it could be somebody in their 20s or 30s, what young couple, what single adult, what college-age student, what teenager are you You, not staff, not deacons, not Sunday school teachers. I'm talking about you. Who are you connecting with? Who are you weakly and intentionally pouring the faith into that's in the younger generation? You're like, preacher, i got to be honest. Nobody, really. Then let's change that. And you come back next week, and we're going to talk about how to change that.